This is Who Makes a Podcast. Conversations with your favorite podcast hosts about who they are, the shows they make, and why they make them. I'm your host, Chris Cookley, and my guest today is Christopher Hermelin. Christopher is a literary agent and writer living in Brooklyn, and he makes the podcast So Many Damn Books. Christopher, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, so many damn books and about your podcast and yourself, obviously. So, you know, for my listeners who may not know, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you live now, how you got there, that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm originally from California, uh, Santa Clarita, and uh, made the trek over into New York about actually 10 years ago. It's my 10-year anniversary living in New York this year. State or city? The city. The city, city of New York City. Um, and I got here 10 years ago and I moved because I wanted to get my MFA at the new school. And getting my MFA led to getting my job in publishing and publishing lives in New York. So I've just stayed here for as long as that has been. Still on the uh, first job or have you have you changed jobs within publishing? No, I got hired at a liter- one literary agency and I have stayed there since I got that job a year into my MFA um, at the new school. And I still work at the same place with the same person. It's just, uh, it's a small literary agency in Brooklyn, a boutique. And uh, it's just me and him. Oh, cool. So we've been working together for, gosh, eight, nine years now. Wow. I'm curious about that. So was it was it such a small operation when you first joined it? It was just like the one guy and he hired you on? That's right. Yeah. Um, at the new school, he was teaching these, they call them Saturday classes because you'll never believe this. They take place on Saturday. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Very real. And he was teaching a class on how to get an agent. And after the class was over, I just was like, I really love this. I would love to work with you. And that was nine years ago. <laughs> So you got a job before you even finished your degree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the MFA doesn't actually prepare you for anything. Right. It's just kind of experience in, in yeah. writing. gives you... I know some people who have gotten MFAs um, in creative writing, at least one person I know. And it, it was kind of just like a a period of time that she could go write. Like, just take two years and go work on a book. That's exactly right. And it, I think the b- biggest thing that an MFA in, in fiction or, or writing... I think there's even an MFA in publishing. The best thing that it does is give you a community, community of like-minded people. And like, that was what I was really loving. And, you know, I've worked professionally with people that I studied with, people that were in my year, um, represented their books. And yeah, I mean, like I got my job through the MFA. I got every, you know, I, I think that I live in New York and have the podcast that I have because partially because of that MFA. So I like them, but I know that people feel very weird about them. And I just think like an MFA is what you make it just like everything yeah. else in life. Yeah. And I can see, I think the one that the, the friend that I have that went through it actually got like a stipend. So she kind of got paid to go to it, which would make a lot of sense to me. Did you have that experience or were you paying for tuition as well? Oh, no. I'm one of those people, hopefully, you know, I'm pulling at Joe Biden's pockets <laughs> saying like, come on, man. Forgive my cancel debt. those yeah. cancel those debts. Why did you Why did you give so much money to someone who said they were going to write literary fiction? Right, that's ridiculous. <laughs> what a dumb thing to do. What a stupid investment. 
Did you have you finished your novel? Is or, or have you have you written one yet? Working on it. Uh, if I don't finish at the end of this year, uh, my friend has permission to kill me. So <laughs> I'm I, I'm hoping that 2022 I finish because otherwise I'm finished. Is it the same one that you started then, or has it? Have you stopped stopped that one and started new ones? It is the same novel that I wrote the first story that became the novel in my MFA program. So I'm sort of working on the same one. Yeah. It's probably evolved at least a little bit. Over, I would hope. Over the 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Is that your like ultimate goal is to be a, a full-time published author? Or do you think you're going to stick with the literary agent thing for the foreseeable future? My, I've learned now from being in publishing and being in the world of books that the goal for the world of books is sort of just to be in that world. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I want to stay here. I want to know more people. I want to talk about books with people. And yeah, I want to, I want to contribute my own novel and maybe hopefully other books and, um, you know, give as much as I take. Cool. Uh, so I just want to continue, you know, if I get to continue literary agenting, if I continue making my book podcast, if I continue writing, I just feel like it all fits together. Yeah. Well, it certainly helps that your job is in that same world. Well, I mean, there there is something to be said for taking doing your hobby or your um, side hustle outside of the world that you're already working in because, you know, I basically just talk about, think about, and work on books. I just, that's all, <laughs> it's all, I, it's all I do or know or have. Have you ever woken up with an existential crisis and been like, today I want to do movies? <laughs> <laughs> uh luckily you know being a literary agent let, gets lets me dip a toe in other things and it means that i don't have to just think of it as working on books you know i get to work with people who are working in all sorts of worlds but yes i have existential crises all the time um how, how can you not two years into a global pandemic yes yeah aren't we all experiencing one large existential crisis that all of us are just experiencing piecemeal it it feels like that sometimes absolutely what is one thing that you love and maybe one thing that you hate about living in New York as somebody who's not from New York? Oh, uh, one thing I absolutely love about living in New York is um, almost every single morning I get to wake up and take our little dog, Ramona, into the biggest park in Brooklyn, Prospect Park. It's a five-minute walk from our apartment. And it is an absolutely huge, gorgeous rolling park. And up until 9 a.m., it's leashes. You can, you can have no leashes on your dog. So it's a crazy, like, it feels like the last panel of Go Dog Go. Just a huge <laughs> dog party. It's a dog party. Yeah. Um, and I get to experience that basically every day. And it's just one of the absolute best things about living here. It's just that sort of park and dog culture for sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. And and Ramona has not found her way up to the top of a tree. <laughs> not, no, no. Although God, she wishes because that's where all the squirrels are. That's where the dog um, party is, right? <laughs> um, but the, I'll say one thing that I hate about living in New York is um, because the grocery stores are smaller. Mm -hmm. It means that they don't always get limited edition and variant of like stuff like M and M's and Oreos. And, you know, the candy and stuff that I enjoy. <laughs> That's a very pr particular dislike of the city. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny when I go and visit my, my parents um, 
in California, they've got these huge grocery stores. Yeah. And, uh, and they, you know, they've got everything, you know, every single weird type of Lay's chip that is out. It's all just, and they just take that for granted um, that that's just, that abundance will always be there. Yeah, that's one of those things that I would never have thought about and I would not even realize could be a, <laughs> a complication to living in a city like that. Yeah, well, I, I admit it's it's small potatoes and it's because I absolutely love living in New York City. I uh, wouldn't live anywhere else. No. Yeah, I lived uh, downtown Nashville for a year, but I mean, that's that's probably like a suburb compared to Probably Brooklyn. feels like Brooklyn. No, it probably feels a little bit like Brooklyn. Yeah. So I actually, I grew up in Connecticut, so like not too far away, but I only went to New York, I think twice in my childhood and it was only to like Manhattan, Times Square, Central Park, that area. I don't know that I've ever actually been to Brooklyn. Well, you would really like it. I, I have a feeling you would. It feels it feels so different than Manhattan um, when you step off the train. So you're just not a big city person. You just want to stick away from them mostly. No, I actually, I like cities. I have like dreams of enjoying the city light, like waking up and walking five minutes to a coffee shop or a park or something like that sounds fantastic to me. Yeah, it is. I will, I will confirm that. Yeah. So I heard on your 2021 wrap up episode for your podcast that you read over 80 books in 2021 and half of, so half of those you said over half maybe were for your podcast. And that does mm-hmm. not include the reading that you did for your job. So I'm right. curious, how much time do you spend reading each day? And do you actually enjoy the books that you're reading? <laughs> I don't know how to answer how long I spend reading each day because I do so much of it for work and for fun. You know, I, I have a very funny... How are your eyes? <laughs> I, I wear glasses. But I, I you know, read in a well-lit area. I've got, we've got nice lights everywhere um, for, that you can focus in on your book. But I, I don't know how long I spend reading every day. I used to have this funny feeling of like when I used to actually go into the office of um, getting home from the office and being like, ah, now that I'm done reading, I can finally read. Read, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I think that one of the big things about reading so many books a year is reading in in all the little times that you wouldn't expect, oh, I have like 10 minutes. Like you don't necessarily think like, oh, I'll read like six pages of a book. But that is kind of how I think of little bits of free time, especially, you know, with audiobooks, you can really like up how many books you read a year if you if you start listening to audiobooks as well. How many do you have going at once, do you think? I only have three books going at once. I have the book that I'm listening to, um, a nonfiction book and a fiction. Okay. So I, I, I'm not one of those people that can have a bunch of different books open all at once and have them all going. Um, I really like to get lost in a narrative. And I find, you know, the medium change of an audiobook versus reading on the page to be enough of a separation. But I couldn't have like a bunch of novels yeah. and work going all at the same time. I think I could probably handle that. I don't think I could handle more than two 
fiction books at a time. If they were like, if they were both books or they were both on my Kindle or something, I, I think I can only do one at a time. Usually right now I'm only reading one book at a time as is like one fiction or one nonfiction or mm -hmm. I don't listen to audiobooks all that much because usually I find if I'm going to listen to something, I have a podcast that I need to catch up on. Totally. But yeah, I'm, you know, one at a time. I think I read 10 books last year, so quite a, yeah. quite a ways behind the, uh, the 80, but it's funny. I, I, reading totals and like reading goals. I feel like people have become even more obsessed with that sort of stuff with yeah. Goodreads reading challenge and everything. And I, I personally, the average book amount of books that um, a man in America reads each year is one. And that's if you count magazines, Oh, geez. you know, women read about 12 times as much as men do. Uh, so they'll read about 12 novels to, for every one. That, uh, that this is these are these might be old statistics, yeah. um, but I think that they're still indicative of the of the difference of what was that just novels or does that include nonfiction? That's just books. Okay, so everything. And uh, so like you're already you're already ahead of the curve if you're reading it all. <laughs> if you're if you're you know turning off the screen and turning to a book, um, I think you know that's that's a win. Yeah. However, I, I I think that people beat themselves up about how little they read or especially like not having the same to totals as someone else. And I think that's crazy. I mean, it's just like, read what you want to read and read what makes you want what you want to read. You know, like so many people treat it like homework. And I think that also is what keeps people from maybe reading more than they would like to. And it's, it's honestly so refreshing. Every time I forget about reading, which is crazy to think that it, yeah, that could happen, but we get into ruts, like my wife and I, as soon as the... When it, whenever the kids are in bed, we have like an hour to an hour and a half at night, just us. And it's, it's so easy to just turn the TV on and like zone out for an hour and then be like, Absolutely. oh, I guess we should go to bed. And every time we remember that we both, we both love to read. So every time we remember to do it, it's so refreshing when we're finally like, oh, all right, you know, I got a good 30 or 40 pages in tonight. Let's, we can call it a night now. Yeah, that is, it's a wonderful feeling. And it really does like flex different muscles than in your brain than, than you think. It's not, it's not just like, oh, I'm consuming a story. It's the same thing that I use to watch prestige television. No matter how much they say that they're like a novel now, it's just, it's just not the same as sitting there and reading a book. Do you have a favorite book medium? Are you a Kindle person, hardcover, paperback, audiobook? Uh, I think that my favorite is the, um, you know, not many books actually fit in this form, but I really love that, that old trade paperback Yes, or um, the mass, sorry, the mass market paperback, uh, the yeah. pocket paperback. I just read a couple of those last fall for the first time and it was, it was awesome. They're so tiny, but like uh, so The dense. ones that can fit in your coat pocket, like yeah. your wallet coat pocket, the absolute best. So good. Hey, it's Chris. Can I jump in here for a minute and ask if you have thought about making your own podcast? If you have, you may have realized there's a lot more that goes into it than you might have thought. Don't worry. I have a gift for you. I want you to have my podcast quick start checklist. From what microphone and recording software you should use to how you host and distribute your show, I'm here to help with all of that and more. My podcast quick start checklist will walk you through everything you need to know to start your podcast. I'll show you what's actually important. To get my podcast quick start checklist, 
go to whomakesapodcast.com slash start and tell me where to send it. Now let's get back to the episode. What was one of your favorite books from last year? Okay. I'm going to say read yes. that you read last year, not that it was published last year. <laughs> no, yeah. I, um, I'm going to choose two books that I read and were published last year. Um, Laser Writer 2 by Tamara Shopson. That was a really big favorite of mine. Tamara Shopson is of the Shopson family, and they, they have a cafe, a very storied cafe where they've got like a crazy long menu and only one cook working at a time. But she writes these incredible little... Um, mostly she's written nonfiction, um, but she finally published a novel and it was about the dawn of printer repair. And somehow she made that extremely um, fascinating. And it's really about working at the Apple store before it was the Apple store. And so if you're at all interested in the history of Apple, that is also a really fun angle. And it's got all this white space. And it's just like she really deploys her sentences and her vignettes uh, fascinatingly. I just, I love the way that she writes. Cool. And then um, my other big favorite from last year was the... um, the Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki. And I, um, the, A Tale for the Time Being is one of my probably top 10 favorite books ever written. And I really was looking forward to whatever her next book would be. And that it was this novel that was partially narrated by itself. There's actually like the book is a character. It, and then it's also about, you know, a, a troubled high school kid and and his hoarder mom and just like their relationship. And it's also about sort of a Marie Kondo type person that gets involved in their lives. It's, it's an incredible novel. Um, so many moving parts to it and it's somehow all sings when it's all together. Cool. That sounds interesting. Yeah. How often are you reading older books? Like for example, I've been reading um, a lot of John D. McDonald books and his Travis McGee series and some of his standalone novels. And a lot of those are from like the fifties and sixties. Those are the, the trade paperback sized books that I read last year. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think actually it's mass market paperback. Okay. I think that's the size trade is the little bit, the larger size. I read a lot of older stuff. When we have authors on the podcast, there's a portion of the show that we call the book club that where they bring a book for us to read, me to read. And um, that was a, a big way of reading some of the older stuff that I read last year was just from reading the stuff that authors brought because it's usually something that's a favorite of theirs or uh, something that inspired their book. So it's usually something older, like um, when Gus Marino came on and he wrote This Thing Between Us, which was a really interesting horror novel, came out at the end of last year. Um, he brought Clive Barker's The Hellbound Heart, which is, you know, what um, inspired the Hellraiser movies. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's stuff like that that really, um, that's really exciting. And then I I go down rabbit holes um, just like anybody else. So I would say like every two or three books, I really, I do try to go back and read something a little older and not just something that's contemporary. So like Monday and Tuesday, you read something new and then by Wednesday, you're on, you're on an older book. <laughs> exactly. What is the roving typist? Oh, the roving typist. So that is that's a personal project of yours, or it was. Are you still doing it? Yes, I am still doing it. Um, 
People can check that out. If you Google The Roving Typist, actually, you'll probably come across this short film that someone made about it. Um, it's, a, it's a typewriter project that I did when I first came to New York because I literally couldn't get a job and I just need to do uh, something to earn me just walking around money at all. Um, as I was living with my cousin, who was very sweetly letting me live rent-free, but that doesn't means I still didn't have anything, any extra cash. Yeah. And so I was just... Um, busking with my typewriter where I would have someone someone would come up and tell me a little bit about what their life was like or what they wanted a story about and I would write on the spot in less than 10 minutes a short story for them and it became this huge phenomenon for a little while I got a a lot of interesting attention for it and um, when I before I had like my professional job that was something that I would often do. I would still go out on the weekends or I did some weddings. I helped in some uh, marriage proposals. I did some corporate retreats. I spoke at Hasbro once about the power of creativity. That's cool. It was this really crazy um, project that, you know, I'm, I'm starting back up again because, well, I just love it. And um, I missed that sort of focused bouts of creativity that I would that I would go on. Are you shy at all or ha- were you were you shy at all i feel like i would if i was going to try to go out and do that like i would be so nervous at least at first and i'm curious i'm going to tie this back i'm curious if going out and doing this in any way helped you with guests on your podcast or reaching out to people or getting the podcast started yeah that's that's a good question i would say that the roving typist project was only possible because I'm not shy. I get nervous. I get extremely nervous, but that wouldn't stop me. And like that power of nervous energy, mm-hmm. when you're just like, when there's a bunch of people asking you what you're doing, like you get to focus and your your brain goes into this, I don't know, like high performance mode. That is, it's the only time that I've ever experienced my brain doing that is when I'm doing actually roving typist out on a, on a busy street in New York. And I don't know if that helped with podcasting, but it did kind of help. I think it did help with just showing that like people do want to connect and, and you have more in common with the people walking by you than you'd think. And so I think that it, it helped with the approach to people that like everybody wants to talk and everybody has a story. And sometimes it's just a matter of providing them the story and then they'll start talking to you um, about what their story really is. And so I think that it definitely gave me added to my non-shyness about such things that I could just talk to people. So I, I definitely think it probably helped with my ability to talk to people, but I wouldn't have ever put together that the like that those two things were leading to one another. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Do you ever wish that you had any of those stories still? Or are you, once they're done, you're kind of like, eh, this can go. (laughs) I'm mostly glad that they're gone. Um, (laughs) Although what's funny, sometimes people are really sweet and they'll be cleaning out the whatever, that a book that they put the story in or they'll, they'll contact me and show me that their story is in a place of honor in their house and take a picture of it. And I'll read the story and be like, huh, not bad. That's not, that's not too bad. Yeah. Um, um, I'll, but I consider them all first drafts and, and I try not to beat myself up about it because especially the ones that were truly written live, 
um, because I also had a website yeah. um, where you could order a short story. But the ones that I truly wrote in front of people, I feel like those are like the craziest writing experiences ever. So the fact that they have any sort of like arc at all, I think is like something to be happy with. I mean, nobody should ever see your first draft. <laughs> exactly. And, and yet, you're just out there handing them off. Handing them out. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of reading, writing, and podcasting, do you have time to enjoy anything else? What What's something that your audience might not know about or not expect that you like to do? Yeah, I... Gosh, I feel like I'm just too online in some ways because I just put everything that I do on the internet in some form. You know, if like I love making little beats and little music pieces and stuff. So I put those into the podcast, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, writing, you know, it, I feel like it, I typewrite it or I work on the novel. So it comes out. So, yes, but of course I have time to enjoy other things. Probably the, you know, like I was saying, like hanging out with the dog is a big one. Um, I, but like, I think all of the things that I like to do are pretty much like pe- what people expect people to like to do. Like I love baking. I love cooking. Are you great at making bread now? <laughs> no, actually. Sourdough um, bread? My, my my wife actually was the one who dis- took up the sourdough bread mantle. And I'm so glad that she did. I took up making um, cakes. I, I make like little snacking cakes and things. Nice. Yeah, I, I guess like playing with the dog, you know, it's just so funny. Like I'm trying to think of like something that my people would not expect that I'd be into. And it's just like <laughs> everyone would be like, oh, yeah, you, of course you do that too. Yeah. Um, maybe, oh, I guess video games. I do love video games. And uh, any particular one? I'm I'm finishing up Breath of the Wild finally. And I'm very excited to turn to Pokemon Snap. I'm not in that world at all. So is that... Is that on all of the systems, or do you have a system of choice? I, I think uh, Zelda is just Nintendo. Okay. Um, so it's I'm on a Nintendo Switch. Okay. See, I didn't even know that was Zelda. So. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what are your thoughts on self-publishing as someone in the traditional publishing world? I am fascinated by self-publishing. The tools out there are better than they've ever been, um, and especially for um heavy genre work like deep sci-fi very deep romance like people the people that love that stuff love it and they don't care where it comes from so if you know you can really find an audience on there i think that for literary fiction i feel like it's the hardest world to break into in self-publishing um just because there's there's so many there's so many books yeah so many damn books out there (laughs) And uh, it's just hard to cut through the noise. And, um, you know, especially, I don't know, uh, something about literary fiction, people want it to be part of the culture and be part of the connection. And self-published stuff doesn't quite get in there. However, I feel like that's changing. And there are more and more um, tiny publishers that are popping up. And as things become more and more niche, I just see... Uh, self-publishing getting bigger and bigger the problem with it though is there's just like when you're doing self-publishing you do it all every single thing yeah and for traditional publishing you know there you might be the only person that actually writes the words in your manuscript but there's probably another 15 20 people that touch your book before it goes out you know um if not more just between editing and design and a sales staff and everything 
in in between um and that sort of community and that sort of collaboration is you know what i got into the business to be a part of um and not that's not everybody's bag though so i feel like self-publishing is cool and those tools are just getting more robust and better than they've ever been is that an avenue that you would look at when you finish your book or would will you be do you even need to get an agent or will your partner just represent you or will you represent yourself um you know i'm gonna write i'm gonna finish my book first and then i will think about what comes (laughs) next that's probably a good plan you know there's there's a lot of bridges that you know yeah I, I want to just make sure that there's even a society to publish a book for by the time I'm finished. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. Switching gears a little bit, maybe. What is it about podcasting that drew you in? What excites you now? And what do you get personally out of podcasting? So podcasting, when I first discovered it, the first podcast I listened to was MuggleCast. Shout out to Harry Potter. Um, which which was an early early podcast in general. Um, there weren't many podcasts when that when they started uploading, and um, I listened to about an hour of the of an early episode, and I thought, boy, that's a, just a lot of people talking, and it's not very well recorded, and I don't need to listen to that at all. Um, but I was excited about the idea of it that you could just put something out, and it was very easy for other people to um, listen to and get connected to, and. So let's see, that was about 20 years ago now. Wow, was that 20 years ago? I guess it was. Could have been. Time Might have been by. 18. Anyway, um, now I'm excited about the fact that they're being taken seriously. And there's people like, I think I just saw Carrie Washington signed a deal to be in three scripted podcasts, which is pretty wild. Um, and it's just it's just a completely viable you know, other type of new media. And I think that that's exciting. But what's really exciting to me is you can still just be three people hanging out in your friend's basement. Yeah. Talking about Harry Potter still, if you wanted to, you could still make that and put it up and it would, and you really are studying with the same tools that almost every single other person has. The only thing that you don't have is an ad budget. But unlike self-publishing, which we were just talking about the difference between a professional podcast and one that you're just making yourself. I feel like those differences are really a lot smaller. So there's like people that get paid like crazy amounts to be podcasting and they're the top echelon. And then underneath is everybody else. So it's just like this, still this crazy open playing field. Yeah. And I think that that's so, so exciting that you can just make something and put it out there. And and there's still an audience of people that's typing in search terms to find new things to listen to. Yeah, I hope it stays like that for a while. It it seems like it feels like it's changing just a little bit with all the exclusive deals and things like what Spotify is doing with the Gimlets and the the Joe Rogan show and and all their exclusive content. Um, But I'd like I'd like it to stay open as long as it can. Do you listen to a lot of podcasts? Yes, I listen to quite a few podcasts. What are a couple of your favorites that you listen to? Yeah, my favorite remains The Best Show um, with Tom Sharpling. It's been going for years and years and years. And actually, he was my one of my absolute first clients when I got a job as a literary agent. Um because I knew he hadn't written a book because I've been had been listening to his podcasts for many years. And uh, I just think it's it's two to three hours every week 
um, pretty random as far as like what what it's actually about. It's just he says it's mirth, music, and mayhem, and I really like that. Uh, and it's you know every top every comedian, every alternative comedian knows about it or used to know about it in some fashion. Um, and so that's probably number one. Listen, I make sure I listen to every single one. And he has another one, Julie Klausner, called Double Threat that I really like. I also, of course, enjoy other people with Brad Listy. That's another yep. book podcast. He's been going for ages and ages too. Yeah, he's been he's been around a while. And I really like um let's see. Oh <laughs> I, I I'm enjoying Office Ladies. I'm a big Office fan. <laughs> and um Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey are super fun to hang out with, it turns out, which is really nice. I haven't listened to it, but I think, uh, God, I can't remember his name now. JD and, uh, Donald Faison. Yeah. Yeah. I think they do the same sort of thing with scrubs, don't they? Yeah, they do. And I think that they, um, the, it's always sunny guys have just started theirs. Really? Um, so I think that it's a golden age for knowing every single thing you can ever know about every TV show you've ever watched. Right. And, uh, the other show I really like is, and, and this is a classic and an enormous one, but This American Life. Um, yeah, Ira Glass. Ira Glass. He's the best. Truly, truly. Was other people around when you guys started your show? Your show started, what, like 2014, so it's been a while. And I'm wondering yeah. if that was any sort of inspiration for you, or maybe Brad started after you. I don't know when his show no, started. No, other people was already going. They're... Okay. they're, they're they're the oldest, I feel like, or if not the oldest, one of the. No, my big, our biggest influences for uh, so many damn books were Dinner Party Download, which doesn't exist anymore. But it's funny. One of the hosts of Dinner Party Download produces podcasts now and was pitching guests to us, and I just think that that's funny. Wow, um, that that came fully around, and then also um, Slate Culture Gabfest with uh, Stephen Metcalf and, and Dana Stevens. Um, and I'm not sure who their third person is right now, but uh, that was a big show. That was a big influence for how I wanted our show to go. And then um, Emily Heller's show, Baby Geniuses, um, with Lisa Hanna-Walt. Uh, I love that show. And that was a big influence on so many damn books. Yeah, every time I ask this question, I, I get reminded that there are so many podcasts out there because I haven't heard of most of those, and I'm sure they've been <laughs> around forever and they're huge. And I need to, I need to expand my listening. Yeah, there's just millions and millions. It's it's great. What would you say your podcast is about? If you had to sum it up, what is so many damn books? So many damn books is a podcast that celebrates reading. That's about it. That's about it. Um, Succinct. Uh, yeah, uh, that's sometimes we uh, we used to say uh, so many damn books uh, talking about books with a drink in our hand. There um, you go, which also is true. Yeah, I was, you have a you have a cocktail segment on your podcast, which you yes I do make a pot you make a cocktail for each episode. Do you you actually like invent a new cocktail? Is that right? That's right. How did that get started? That was actually. Um, that was that was another thing ported over from Dinner Party Download. They would do a a, a cocktail portion or sometimes a, a cooking portion. Are you trained and as a bartender at all? I w- I worked as a bartender for like about a month when <laughs> um, 
nice. in Jersey City for a little bit. And uh, vast but no, experiences. I, I didn't. I I'm not a professional bartender in any way. I'm just I love mixology culture. Um, Do you read any of the like classic cocktail books at all? I just got Imbibe for Christmas. I haven't opened it up yet though. David Wondrich, very good. Yes, I I've I love cocktail books. Um, I like Meehan's. I really like the Death and Co. one. Um, they have one where they break down like there's like six basic cocktails that everything falls into, um, and you can once you sort of know that and what makes them up, you can sort of really start. That's their book, The Cocktail Codex really, really um, changed how I make drinks. But yeah, it's all self-taught. And and just because I'm fascinated by mixology, it feels somewhat witchy. You know, yeah. some, it's somewhat like making a, a potion or a spell. And I just like the idea that like, there's you're always just one drink away from feeling perfect. How often do the drinks turn out terrible when you start trying to make a new one up? Oh, a lot. That's my experience. I just, Every time I try to make make a cocktail, like just like make something up it's horrible <laughs> luckily i'm not luckily i can make things taste pretty good it's it's now it's when i start to really mess around i was just i, I actually was following a, a cocktail recipe recently from um this this book the aviary cocktail book which is the biggest mixology book i have it's absolutely enormous it weighs like I don't know, probably weighs like 15 pounds or something. And it's just absolutely gorgeous photography. But everything in the book requires, you know, like a centrifuge or wow. um, insane stuff. Some serious equipment. But there was one thing that only required an immersion, uh, sous vide, you know, immersion uh-huh. cooking process. And so I just approximated that with a meat thermometer and a Ziploc bag and a pot to infuse um, caramelized onion simple syrup. Huh. And I worked very hard on this. It was like a four-hour process to make everything um, and to make this... It's, it was supposed to make like a cocktail version of French onion soup. Okay. And I will say that I was successful, but you know, at what cost? <laughs> it just didn't... <laughs> it, it hasn't tasted good. It, uh, and I still have this like... I have this... I, I didn't use all of my um, onion-infused simple syrup yet. And I'm just like, what do I use this with? What can I possibly make that would taste good? So, um, so yeah, I'm still making things that I have no idea. And that isn't for anything. That was just because I wanted to stretch my abilities as a cocktail maker. Cool. Yeah. The other great thing about having a cocktail inspired by the, the book that we were reading is that the author will drink it too. Um, or at least we used to because... We, we used to be very um, draconian about only doing episodes with folks that would come into uh, and, and literally hang out with us in person. Yeah. Um, of course, we can't do that now. Uh, but I think Brad Listy went through a phase like that as well. It, it really, it really made the difference. I mean, I can, I can hear the difference between our episodes before and episodes after with, with not just because that they're recording with iPhone microphones. Um <laughs> And it's it's a bummer to be honest, but I I think that like having the interview at all is of course exciting. Yeah. But it just means that it it put them just a little bit more at ease, a little bit more you know convivial, and it felt more like a conversation. Especially because by the time the cocktail was sort of settle, settling in and they were feeling it, was when we would move away from their book 
and start talking about the book that they brought to talk with us. And that was that would make for really good listening because, you know, when you're not talking about your own work, it really frees you. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, how often have you revisited or remade any of the cocktails that you've made for your podcast? And have any of them worked their way into a regular rotation for you? Okay, hold on. I need to go back and look at... Um, there's on our website, so many damn slash the damn bar is where we keep all of our recipes that I've ever made. And um, I will say that there's probably nothing that I, so much of it, I needed something specific that I like um, making lavender syrup or a time I made my own coffee liqueur or um, when I found this bottle of, Christmas gin, which uh-huh. was, you know, infused with frankincense and myrrh. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's stuff like that where I like, got really excited about a certain thing. So it's kind of hard to Probably remake. not standard bar fare yeah. for the home but bar. I, I will say that um, one thing that I, I definitely remake, you know, this wasn't inspired by a book. Um, this was just an, one that I made for an episode, but I called it the air conditioner because I made it for when we were in the deep summer and it was just like any any um, hard seltzer that you have add in um, a quarter ounce of Aperol and then just throw an orange wedge in there. Beautiful. Nice. Do that all the time. And then um, there's just there's stuff that I learned about infusion that I did pick up and I, and I use all the time. So like cold infusion with tea is really great. And that just means literally like putting tea in liquor and putting that in the fridge. It huh. speeds up the um, infusion process. And uh, like tea bags. Yeah. Yep. Or, or just um, loose, loose leaf tea that you strain, strain out. Okay. And you can, and doing that instead of flavoring your simple syrup means that you can do different sugar um, if you're going to sweeten that way. So, I really like making like Earl Grey gin or Earl Grey vodka or a bourbon vanilla vodka, you know, things that you would never really make unless you had the tea for it. Um, That's really fun. All right. Not to take the mood down at all. Okay. But you have made your podcast for the entire run that it's been produced so far with a co-host, Drew. Yes. Drew has Drew recently Bessard. left. And I'm curious uh, how you feel about that now that he's gone and how you handled that transition. And, and what do you see for the future of your podcast? What are you hoping for? You've caught me in a transition time. Yes. Because I haven't yet hosted the new drew list version of the show just yet i will be doing that soon um but yeah drew back at back when the back at the height of the pandemic we took a break because we didn't know what we were going to do and i think simultaneously i realized i need this podcast i love it it gives me structure it gives me something to work for and look forward to. And I really like the whole process of vetting guests and finding people and, and trying, to, trying to schedule people on. And 
Drew realized, I think I want to get out. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so since then we've gone back and forth and then he pr- probably about maybe about a year after that realization was when he was like, I think I want to, I think I'm ready to be done. So why don't I finish out this year with you? That this was in the beginning of last year. And he was like, let me just finish out this year with you. And then, you know, you can do whatever you want. Um, and I was just like, I, you know, I'm going to, I want to continue. I want to keep making our show. And a long, long time ago, uh, back when we were still in two digits of, of episodes, Drew was incredibly sick. And I did an episode with a guest co-host, um, Will Chancellor, an author who we had had on previously, came on and filled in to talk books with me. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've got in my head is like, okay, I, I know I did this once before, like yeah. seven years ago. And I just think that, you know, my interview skills have gotten so much better since then. Sure. And my ability to host a show has hopefully gotten better since then. And so what I'm looking forward to is just that I can sort of take it in any direction that I want to go. And I'm excited to have conversations with people that might not necessarily be authors themselves. Um, I'm excited to do all sorts of things with the show that, and maybe it'll just be the same sort of thing that it always was, but it'll just be me. And, and I'm very excited down the line to, to have Drew come back as like a special guest um, because we love each other and we work together so well. And it is really, really hard for me to think about the show without him because, you know, he was more than just a co-host. He was who I bounced any idea off of um, at all. So doing that on my own feels a little lonely, but I think in a way that I'm kind of excited to see what happens. I don't know where it's going to go and I'm just excited to see where it could. I assume you're going to start probably with solo episodes at least with with you and a guest maybe do you anticipate maybe finding another co-host at some point or is that just that's too up in the air right now my knee-jerk thought is just no um just because i don't think i don't think anybody who hasn't done it themselves knows just how difficult running a podcast is and how much work it is. And I think it's, it'd be really hard to come in blind and then just, <laughs> it would be the equivalent of just like when those um, movies about how much it sucks to work and they show up at their job the first day and all they get is a stack of like, you know, paperwork that they're like, you have to move that from your inbox to your outbox. Well, especially um, on your show, you guys have yeah. such a reading load that you try exactly. to take on. I, I, I don't know someone who could necessarily add 40 books to their reading life and so and not like feel weighed down by that do they have spark notes still is that is that thing <laughs> i don't i don't really see and i and i wouldn't want to curse someone with that however i do think that sometimes i will bring on a special guest co-host um for certain authors or just someone that it'd be fun to be in conversation with a few people rather than just me. But yeah, the the plan for the for the near future is to just hang out with authors on my own. Well, I wish you luck in that endeavor. Thank you. I am starting this podcast by myself. So 
if anybody quits, there will be no more podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I can yeah. see it being so much fun to have a co-host. Like I have so much fun just talking with my guests, and I can imagine like having another person on here with me, also interviewing the guest would be a, would be a blast, especially if they were in person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I'll I'll always remember as some of my absolute favorite memories of the podcast were the moment after the writer left and we were just able to be like, and just talk about it and go over (laughs) like the moments where like, oh, I wish we'd, or, oh, we should have, or whatever. Or like, that was so great. All of those wins and losses and everything to go over with someone right there who had just experienced it. Um, It's going to be sad to not have that, but you know, there'll be other things instead. I I'm excited to be joining your ranks. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of us out there and uh you know, we're glad to have you as single podcast hosts. Welcome to the tribe. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, your podcast So Many Damn Books is part of a network. It's part of the Lit Hub Radio Network. So I was yes. curious if you could tell me a little bit about that, what that is, what that experience has been like to be part of that and you know, how did you how did you get in to that network? What does that give you? I have I have no concept of what a podcast network gets you or gives you or or why you would join one so like what what is it <laughs> well the lit hub radio network is a loose conglomeration of basically just book podcasts um that lit hub is a website with various news interviews um and pieces about reading um connected to reading in some way and so they have that big website where everything lives and then they've got their radio where they've got i think they've got 30 shows or so i'm not sure where they're at right now um but yeah i'm part we we were approached by them as like do you want to be on our uh on our network and basically the big thing was we'd never gotten our act together to get ads we had just said no and we were just doing it for free basically um, and then when Lit Hub appeared, we they were like, "Oh, we will we will figure out ads for you," and they just take a little bit of commission for that, but we get the lion's share of any sort of advertisements that's nice. on the show. And that's about it. Yeah, they're, they're just bringing you money. They're bringing me money. And the other thing that they do that's great is they will take an excerpt of a podcast, of our, of a show, of an episode, and turn it into an article for the website. Um, and so every episode gets a little uh, transcript, a little like highlight transcription that they, they put on the website and, and put out in their, in their newsletter. Nice. So that's really great. And it, it is sort of a, a, a nice way to get some extra word out about an episode. Do they ever try to like come in and and have any kind of editorial or creative never, control over never nothing? They have they've nice. never said anything once about anything that we do. <laughs> have you ever disagreed with a sponsor that you have to promote? Um, yes, but I just we just don't have that sponsor on. Um, the only thing that I don't know is they do run ads that are just from an ad aggregator, mm-hmm. and we filled out a little questionnaire of stuff we'd rather not have and i have no idea if they follow that because i would have to download and listen to my own show through that and listen for the ads and i just i haven't done that but if if someone emails us about like oh it was weird that you had this ad on your show we we 
had the and the and Lit Hub is great about being like, oh yeah, we'll take that off. Harry's shaving cream. <laughs> that I'm fine with. I use them. <laughs> it's fine. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's more like when it's um really bad like esports betting that I'm just like, yeah. no thanks. I would rather people like not being a force for people's uh, worse addictions. Are they providing you the the actual ad read, like the words that you have to read? Some of them, they're just like throwing the ad audio on. And okay. sometimes they do have us read ads. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's not bad. It's very, it's very low touch. It's like, it's the easiest sort of network to be a part of. And it was, it was just nice to have at least some slight amount of money um, coming in to offset the cost of, you know, hosting the website. And the other thing that they do is they, they do now host the audio uh, or they pay the, hosting fee to um what hosts the podcast oh cool that's nice too yeah it's 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 very nice the perks are nice because there's very little um drawback how are you finding guests for your show at this point we have i keep saying we i don't know when i don't know if i'll ever be able to stop saying we it probably is after that first episode goes up <laughs> um yeah we are at the point where if I read a book that I I liked, I can email the... We have the publicist's email. And so we can just find and see if they want to come on the show. And especially now that there's just the walls have all come down and that, and people realize that the, there's a power in, in, in podcast audience, it's, you know, it's much easier to have an author on than you might think. They're really looking for as many ways as possible to get their voice out. Um, it's only the people at the very highest level that really think twice about it, but that doesn't mean they still don't come on. Right. Um, so it's really just, I read a book if I, uh, I'm reading like arcs and stuff and publicists, of course, now that we, they know we exist after being around for, um, eight years, they know we exist and they, they pitch. I get, we get 15 to 20 pitches a day. Real quick note for my listeners who may not be in this world. An arc is an advanced reader copy. Yes. Yeah. Those are so we are given books before they come out so that we can have the author on and help hype up the release. On that note, a little bit, if you're comfortable talking about it, how big is your podcast as far as like listeners, weekly downloads, listens, that sort of thing? I don't look at the numbers too closely um, just because once you cross a million downloads an episode, I mean, <laughs> who cares? Yeah. Who cares? No, um, we're. I, the only number I look at is monthly downloads and we're about 10,000 a month. Nice. That's a good, and, uh, that's a good and number. I, and we kind of, for a while there, it was just going up and up and up. And now it's kind of leveled off and it, it'll, it'll jump up if we have someone big on. Um, but ultimately it's usually, it, we usually hit around 10,000 a month and I love that number. That's, that's great. Do you know roughly how long it took you to get there? About two years. Oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how long it was. I, I think it was a, a few years. And yeah. then we, we started to see 5,000 downloads for some of our random episodes because we would have on someone big. And it was just about retaining those people. Yeah, I mean, I would be ecstatic with those numbers. Of course, I'm only one episode into my podcast. So <laughs> can't expect <laughs> right. that at this point. Uh, how are you scheduling your guests? Like technically, I, I sent you a link with oh, yeah. Calendly, and you picked a time. But how are you operating that? <laughs> I 
I was so impressed with that. I was like, this is cool and looked into getting Calendly for myself because it's free I, if you only if you only do the one event type. I only do um I, I do it the dumb way where I just throw tell them like that when I'm free. Here's a bunch of times, and, pick one. Yeah, basically. Well that seems to work at least. Yeah, definitely. Do you prepare notes in advance of your of your interviews? Are you using an extensive outline while you're interviewing your guests? Well, I go in the order of the segments of our show. And so I make sure I have my answers because all the segments aren't just for the the guests to answer the question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have, what did you buy? Which we talk about a book or something we bought since we last recorded and why we bought it. Um, and then we also, the drink is a segment. Um, the book it, The book that we are they are the author is promoting is a segment and then there's the book club segment and then there's a recommendation segment so i keep questions and answers and things for all of those in the order that they come how do you think that's going to change without drew are are you going to be like all right today i am drinking a manhattan and (laughs) last week i bought two books Oh, well, I mean, we I still have the guest on for that stuff. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like I'll just do it over the guest. And it'll just be a little str- weirder because we used to go first so that they would get a sense of what it's supposed to sound like. Um, and having two people go in front of you, you get two examples of how it can go. Yeah. So it's a... Uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Cool. And you you said earlier that you like making music. So did you make all of the uh, little music jingles and things that are in your episodes? The bad music, the like um, segment. Yeah, like the transitionary pieces. Those are mostly actually done by my cousin. He is... they Both my cousins, their brothers, uh, go under the name um, Hayuchi Hotel. And they make music together and they take the vocals off and send me their um, just beats. And it's very fantastic. It's perfect for what I make. And also um, his old project, James's um, old project, Disaster Magic. All of this stuff is up on SoundCloud. I use that those mostly for the in-between. But there's also um, uh, section music, you know, uh, what are those called? Stingers. And those Drew and I both made. Um, Drew's a fantastic guitarist. Um, so I would sometimes just sing things that he, I'd want him to play on guitar for me. Yeah. Um, but Did you guys you know, sing your intro, the so many, so many? Yeah. We played, we sang that together. He was, um, you know, you can hear him perfectly hitting the note because he can actually sing. And you can <laughs> hear me scooping to the notes because I don't know how to sing. Um, and... Uh, yeah, he he's just a fantastic guitarist who did um what did you buy that theme song which sounds like crazy guitar and stuff. That's that was something that he did on his own. But the other stuff is stuff that I made or stuff we made together. Awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. That's one of the best things. And I really that's a that's a big goal for 2022 is to make more of the in-between music myself. Did you have any sort of history with audio recording before you got into podcasting? It can be kind of an overwhelming thing to get into if you've never done it before. Totally. Yeah. Well, the very, I mean, I think I got into podcasting partially because I was into radio in college. I had a college radio show. Um, so I knew a lot of the equipment through just 
you know, you have to be trained on the equipment yeah. for the radio show. KZSC, UC Santa Cruz, um, fantastic radio program. And then I've just been in, I was just in a bunch of little dumb bands in high school and college, which we all used garage band. And that's what I use now because that's what I learned. So well, that'll certainly help. Yeah. Yeah. But all of, I mean, like it's not, GarageBand is really set up for the lowest common denominator. I feel like, you know, spending, you, if you just spent like a, an afternoon with it, you would know how to record a podcast. Yeah. The old version, they, before they changed it, like, I don't know how long ago this was, but they used to have one that was like, make a podcast. It was like a button. Really? Yeah. And it just was like a preset. It was a preset, like I'm making a podcast and they just nice. took that away for some reason. Yeah, that's weird, especially as podcasts have kind of exploded. Yeah, they kind of did that right like right before Serial came out. They were like, let's make it harder to make a podcast. Yeah. I've I've never had a Mac, so I've never used GarageBand, but I've heard good things. Yeah, that's what I still use. Do you have any sort of pre-podcasting routine that you go through? Like things to get your voice warmed up or things to get your guest warmed up or comfortable or anything like that? Or do you just kind of, it's go time, let's turn it on and we'll, and we'll go. I like to hang out with my guests at least like 10 minutes um, and give them a little bit of like a, um, a lay of the land of how it's going to go and just sort of chat with them. And uh, usually that's where the getting to know you part comes in that it used to be so much better with the, um, when we would have people in person, cause there was yeah. the, the whole time of like hanging out, making the cocktail, drinking some of it, and then heading back to record. Um, and so I definitely miss that part of of the recording process because it was some of the most fun. But no, I I for a very brief period I was eating a green apple before I recorded because I heard that I've it heard that reduces spit. Yeah. Do you feel like it worked? I don't. It, maybe, maybe. Uh, but it, obviously not well enough to con- continue doing it. <laughs> And those local, I mean, those New York City shops, they just don't stock green apples all that often. It's always just the reds. <laughs> yeah, we're the variants. <laughs> what What is your technical setup right now? What are you What are you using for all of your your gear? I know you're using GarageBand for software. What about the microphone or mixer or anything like that? Yeah, I'm using a good old Shure SM58, the okay, the the standard the workhorse workhorse microphone, and I'm putting that in through a, a Steinberg um, USB mixer uh, into GarageBand. That's kind of it, right? Yeah, I use a I use a mic stand. I use a um. What about your headphones? Uh, Sony. What? Uh, I don't know. I'm not a gear person. Okay. I've never I've never thought that um you know I think it was like Jack White who's just like a good like you're having the best guitar doesn't change the music you're making from it. Right. Um and so I I've never been quite a gearhead. I just wanted to all I wanted was to get rid of hiss. I didn't want to hear like that persistent hiss at yeah. the bottom of things. And you know once once you start using just any microphone and putting it through a mixer you can control that and after that i was like it's it's good especially because people are using listening to this you know with you know it from their alexa in the background right. while they're cooking like it's not it's right. not necessarily the most important thing to get the absolute clearest perfect $6000 audio driver whatever you're not recording orchestral music no not yet <laughs> 
Has that changed over the years? Are you still rocking the same same gear that you had when you started? No. Um. Oh God, I'll never forget. We were gonna have. We were actually featuring. Um. We we're gonna fe- feature a bookseller. I just thought that was such a fun idea. There was just a local bookseller that a lot of people knew as having great um great recommendations. And we had them over and I turned the thing on, um, which was a older mixer, mixing board, mm-hmm. which was a straight up like a real one with slider levels. Faders you and know? stuff, yeah. Like and I got I had gotten it off Craigslist and it worked great for three years. Um, but I turned it on and it just immediately like just a small puff of smoke came from the oh, back. Oh no. And I was like, oh my God, that I don't think is supposed to happen. Yeah. And I've never seen a puff of smoke from the mixer before, but I feel <laughs> like, yeah. And so that was... Were you still able to do the episode or no? No, no. And... and um, Did they reschedule? We, we we asked him to come on again and he was like, no, thanks. No? Oh, that's too bad. I felt terrible about it. The only time that I felt worse was when um, we stopped recording and the computer crashed while it was like processing the audio. Oh, and the um, the author who we were hanging out with was incredibly great. Actually, E. Lockhart, she's amazing. She's written a bunch of YA novels. Um, we Are Liars and We Were Liars, I mean. And uh, The Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks. Fantastic writer. Um, and she was so sweet. She was like, well, I've got an hour. Let's do it again. That's that's awesome. Which I can't that's, believe that she so did lucky. that. That she was just like, yeah, I mean, now I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> it's one of my biggest fears with this. I need to I need to figure out a way to get some sort of backup external recording system set up. Just in case. Yeah. No. Okay, I've got the Zoom going and I've got my local DAW recording, but if the computer crashes, they're both gone. Yeah. So Yeah. Horrible. A horrible feeling. Do you have any sense of uh where podcasting might be going in the future? Are we still on the leading edge or is this a mature market and it's too late for me to get into it? No, no. We're there's it's not too late there will always i think that it's kind of like books and that there will always be room for like the little the little guy with the niche thing that everybody listens to like suddenly finds that niche to be interesting um i i feel like there's just going to be more p- money pushed into the top yeah which is kind of a bummer but at the same time uh i i think that it doesn't change that people are still going in there and trying to find their their more specific communities. I think that's what people see podcasts for. And um, so I feel like as, as long as you're making your specific community that then it's, it's going to be fine. So I see, I see definitely like a higher, a higher buy-in and more people making these scripted podcasts or um, just, you know, there, there'll always be some, you know, Barack Obama teaming up Bruce Springsteen to make a podcast. Like, I feel like there's always going to be those top level ones, but it doesn't change the fact that like, you know, it's just like anything else. Like if you listen to one podcast, you end up listening to like four or five and you're like, I want to know like who's, I want to know more about podcasting in general. You know, they're going to find you. Perfect. Well, that's a great answer for me. I appreciate (laughs) that. What do you think one of the most important lessons that you've learned about podcasting since you started is uh, maybe what's one thing that you wish you knew when you started that you know now? I think the, one of the most important lessons that I learned is that there's there's no just do this. There's no like, if you want it to last, if you want to do this for a long time, you have to always treat it like you're making the most important episode yet. Um 
and that like you can't get too galaxy minded about this you have to still be focused on the small that like each episode can't be um oh we'll just do that one and then we'll get to this one like that's that you can't have that sort of mindset you have to have the mindset that what you're the one that you're making is the most important one until the next one and the one thing that i really wish i knew was that it's an addicting world that it's not something that you can just um get out of you know it's something that is you you once you start to get into it you really want to you want to see it through and there's a very huge wide ranging definition of what see it through means i love that i i found personally that the podcasting community has been so open and inviting and you know, obviously I've gotten a lot of uh, silence from requests to have people on, but then I've had people like you that have said yes, who have never heard of me before. And I really appreciate that. And it's been, it's been a great experience so far. Awesome. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's kind of the magic of podcasting and the magic of, of the world is that, you know, you don't, you're giving people this opportunity to talk about the meta world that like I don't think anybody gets to talk about um, because you do focus and you get do get into your hyper niche and it's very strange to sort of pull back and be like now let's talk about like what it's like to make this show yeah. it would be weird um, and and no you know everyone would skip that one because it's like no 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 I, I came to you because you talk about books um, right and so so yeah I think that it, it, giving people that chance is so exciting because you know they they really get to think back about what they themselves have done and I don't think you necessarily do that unless you're called upon to to do it yeah it's been fun it's been a lot of fun uh, this conversation has been a ton of fun and I really appreciate your time is there anything else that we should talk about did we miss anything important that you wanted to cover oh no I I, I like I'm saying was saying I, I really just appreciate the chance to to sort of go back and think of like, have I learned anything? <laughs> have I learned anything at all? <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, I think that this is a, 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 a totally a joy to look back at things with you. So I appreciate, um, I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah. Where can people find you? Where do you want to send them? Go to so many damn books.com. That's probably the best place. It's actually, we're also so many damn books on Instagram and Twitter and you can find uh, you can find me through there because it is all just me now. That's fantastic, Christopher. Thank you so much for coming on Who Makes a Podcast. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Christopher Hermelin, literary agent, writer, and host of the podcast So Many Damn Books which can be found on all of the major podcast networks. You can also find Christopher at somanydambooks.com, cdhermelin.com, or on Instagram at somanydambooks. My name is Chris Cookley, and you can find me at whomakesapodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be an enormous help if you shared it with your friends or left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. It helps other podcast lovers find the show, and it really does make a difference. And if you host a podcast and would like to be my next guest on Who Makes a Podcast, let me know. Go to whomakesapodcast.com slash guest and tell me about your show. This is Who Makes a Podcast. 
I'll be back next time with another conversation with another incredible podcast host. Thanks for listening.